Occult Confessions is brought to you commercial-free through the generous support of our patrons. Visit occultconfessions.com and click on Donate to help keep the history of the occult on the digital airwaves. For over a century, scholars, occultists, and skeptics have tried to guess who the members of Helena Blavatsky's secret brotherhood were, if they existed at all. One of the earliest theories was proposed by C.G. Harrison in 1893, less than two years after Blavatsky's death. Harrison held that Blavatsky was an unwitting pawn in an ongoing conflict between occultists of a right-hand and left-hand lodge, secretly plotting against each other for global domination. Mr. Harrison laid his theory out in a lecture to the Berean Society in 1893, when he was serving as their president. We'll let Harrison get us going on this theory. In regard to Madame Blavatsky herself, as I hope to show, there is reason for believing that she was ignorant for the most part of the true sources of her inspiration, that she was an instrument in the hands of unscrupulous persons who made unfair use of her remarkable gifts and exploited her, so to speak, for purposes of their own and that when more is known of the nature of the conflict which raged around her unhappy personality, she will be regarded as more sinned against than sinning. Was the gifted Blavatsky unknowingly carrying out the dastardly designs of evil magicians? Or did her secret White Lodge have other, less nefarious intentions for her influence on humanity? We'll find out on today's episode of Occult Confessions. My name is Rob C. Thompson. I am the Supreme Hierophant of our Secret Order of Alchemical Actors. I'm here with our Grand Master Olivia Litteral back in the studio. Spies. That's that's what we're doing. So. We are doing spies today. That's Thank you. Spy song. That's your spy song. Yeah. Oh. Oh, sorry. We're like thirty some episodes in. I'm still getting used to this song thing. You've I don't think you've done it the whole time. I feel no. like you know that I constantly am making noises and right, sounds, yeah, so why is it a surprise? Now they're more musical, I guess. Is I'm it, trying to like, you know, make them classy. All right, I'm get, I, I can I can get on board. It's just taking me a while. our captain of the table is back with us, James Caplangis. Howdy, howdy. I'm back here at the table. Captain, that's me. <laughs> We're going to be exploring some stuff about Russian spies today. <laughs> Those are words. Thank you. <laughs> Let's hear your words, Savannah. Savannah Barrett. <laughs> our, um... What, what's your title again? Oh, how can I forget? Sister of the 84th degree. Yes, hello, everyone. Those are my words. James. You, gotta, you gotta eat that mic. Am I eating the mic? Is it working? That sounds good, like there, right there. Okay. Uh, and uh, for uh, doesn't generally join us in discussion because uh, no. usually a voice of ours. You uh, like voices, all of it. Brandon, but well, yeah, I think Brandon, your your voice will be you'll be doing a character today, right? Yeah, I'll be, I think I do one or two of them in this episode alone. It's straight. I don't think I've been in a discussion since like episode four. Definitely wow. not since the first season. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so this is Brandon Walls, our uh, shadow, shadow, silver tongue shadow. Yes, yeah. silver tongue shadow. Such a challenge for me to remember all these titles that we have now that's the the pain that comes with being a cult leader i guess having to know everyone's title <laughs> yeah. you didn't title them i know but i feel can i delegate the knowing of the titles to you 
Um, well, it's a little late. Say I, no. I guess Make I'll... Make him do it. Learn them all very quickly. Okay. Maybe we need to give someone else a title whose title it is to know the title. Their title is <laughs> yeah, the Keeper I... of the Titles. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. 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 So basically a the secretary titles. We can just see the who's, who's next in line here. <laughs> secretary of the Occult. All right. Let's do the pledge. We, we the, the members of the secret order of alchemical actors, do solemnly commit ourselves to a full and honest telling of the history of the occult as far as we know it. We'll get to our segment here, our popu- our second installment of our very popular segment, Three Plugs. Three Plugs! Ooh. See, hear how popular it is already with James and Three Olivia? Three Plugs! First plug. We would like you to. Uh, I think this is. A, I think this is going to be a general plug. Subscribe and review. Oh yeah, that's yeah, a pretty subscribe and review. So standard. Yeah. If you're in, if you're enjoying so far this episode or have enjoyed several episodes, subscribe so you won't miss a moment of our Blavatsky action in uh, the first this this next was five episodes of Blavatsky, yes. and then we'll be moving on to magical warfare after that. Wow, that's exciting. And if you are enjoying, uh, review. Give us feed us some stars. I love to eat stars. Yep. Every morning. Plug number two. Okay. I sort of expect more from, like, I, I kind of want a response from you all when I say. I'm talking I mean, to you. I know, but I, plug number two, and I want you to oh, oh, do oh, something. Okay. Plug number two. Number two. Number two. <laughs> oh, Lord. That was more than I could have ever asked for. I'm glad yeah. we, were, we could deliver. <clears throat> uh, we do want to plug the Patreon. I know that we're doing the uh, announcement at the beginning, uh, but uh, we want to thank Gary E. and Lucy M., who have become our newest patrons. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And our final plug. Final plug. We want to encourage you, if you would like to know more about the early days of Helena Blavatsky from birth uh, through her American uh, career, before we get to India, which is what we're covering today, to listen to our episode from the first season, that's episode 3.4, Helena Blavatsky. It's me. Yeah. I did that. You were that back in the day. Yep. Okay. All that having been said, we'll close up the three, three plugs and get to Blavatsky again. Harrison lays out his understanding of the divisions between the occult brotherhoods possessing the secret knowledge to manipulate humanity. There are, according to Harrison, three types of orders. There's the esoteric, the liberal, and the brothers of the shadow. Ooh, Brandon, today's your day. Oh my. Yeah. I like how the liberal in there is just like, it's just like the most normal for some reason. (laughs) Those are the Democrats. Uh The esoteric would be the what? Uh, we're gonna get there. Okay. Okay. So, well, right now, actually, James. I was good question. To say. <laughs> we'll talk about the first two before covering the one that sounds super cool, Brandon. Mm-hmm. Brothers of the Shadow. Okay. So the esoterics, James. These guys want to be left alone. So esoteric meaning secret. They just want to keep their occultism to themselves. The liberals are the opposite of the esoterics. They're interested in publicizing occult power and letting everybody know. So they were behind the spiritualist movement, which we've talked about quite a bit in the 19th century. They wanted it to become a popular thing. So like radical occultists. Yeah, they they want to make it a mass movement. Or they're more like socialist occultists. They're inclusive. (laughs) They're really open about it. Let everyone in. There are no secret little cabals. They want to bring everyone to the party. I'm here for it. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. 
Of course you are, sister of the 84th. <laughs> I don't know, Reagan don't know over there. Means. I'm sure you're down. <laughs> Those Reaganomics over there, letting it trickle down to the, to the masses. Good one, Rob. <laughs> it's an inside joke, though, really, for, for <laughs> listeners who know what we're talking about. Apologies to new listeners. Uh, so the secret lodge of the liberals allowed the spiritualist craze to get started, and they ushered it along in order to move humanity away from the scientific materialism that was, in the 19th century, just catching on. In other words, they wanted to nip the problem of materialism in the bud while it was still young, right? Darwin was the 1850s, and then it sort of was a snowball by the 1870s. We were starting to push religion out of pretty much anything that science had an opinion about. Religion right. was being asked to leave the room. So the idea is that there were these liberal occultists in this secret order who, sort of like ours, except more secret. Okay, not, not more secret because they were the liberals. They're a lot like us. I was they, about to say, no, are yeah. we liberals? Yeah, uh, Rob, did they have a podcast? No, if they, they would have if they could have, James. Oh, okay. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, uh, if recording equipment existed. <laughs> or iTunes or... Spotify. So (laughs) (laughs) if they had those tools, they would have had a podcast. Uh, But the idea was that they would get scientific materialism from taking hold and sort of controlling the international human mindset. Which it did. Uh, So they failed. Yes. Swing and a miss for them. Uh, the liberals worked with and through spiritualism's mediums to prove the existence of the occult world, uh, but as we're saying, things got messy. These mediums, who were really conjuring occult forces and spirits, mistakenly believed, according to the liberal occultists, that they were communicating with the spirits of the dead. That was a category error, says this theory. This was a point Blavatsky herself made in Isis Unveiled. Mediumship is the yielding of weak, mortal flesh to the control and suggestions of spirits and intelligences other than one's own immortal demon. It is literally obsession and possession. This mediumship, whether beneficent or maleficent, is always passive. Happy are the pure in heart who repel unconsciously, by that very cleanness of their inner nature, the dark spirits of evil. For verily they have no other weapons of defense but that inborn goodness and purity. Mediumism, as practiced in our days, is a more undesirable gift than the robe of Nessus. Who are they talking to? Like elementals then? Like the yeah. like the fairies from... They were talking to that Britain's? hierarchy of spirits. Down from, from elementals up through... So do they believe that you can't communicate with the dead? Yes, largely. Yeah. So, But they weren't just spiritualists, right? That's just a, the liberal. Well, the liberals like weren't a, the spiritualists. They were in charge. They were the ones like pushing the spiritualists oh, okay. along from behind the scenes. Were they? I guess. And they I mean, were super disappointed when it became all about dead people. So were they pushing <laughs> other things at the same time? I guess is what I'm asking. This was their major okay. campaign. They weren't like pushing any other occulty ideas. They, they were trying. Blavatsky or, may come into play okay. here. How does John King fit in, fit into all that then? If he's he, on Blavatsky's team. But he's not a dead guy. He's not a dead pirate then. Well, it gets weird. Okay, I'm it sorry. Gets it gets weird. <laughs> Spoilers. So, for Blavatsky, mediums may occasionally contact the spirits of the dead, but more often they are in touch with, as Savannah's saying, the lower orders or nature spirits, or they're acting through their own astral spirit to produce the phenomena their visitors and sitters experience. So we also have our own occult power mm-hmm. in our astral spirit that we can manipulate to achieve magical things. 
Genuine mediums are inspired and helped along by the liberals, and frauds are tools of the esoterics to discredit mediums. So when we get a medium who's caught faking, they're the ones who the esoterics have put into the public spotlight in order to thrust the occult back into secrecy. Because they That's wanted to be a conspiracy. Occult conspiracies. Here it is. Sorry, did I just <laughs> yell into the mic? This is a 19th century occult conspiracy. We got our next mic. It's really cool. Uh, so, both of these schools joined together to try to combat the influence of the third school, the Brothers of the Shadow. Oh, yeah. This is like World War Three of cults, but on the low, down low. So, it's like low-key. <laughs> right, because it's a cult. Yeah. So, we have the liberals trying to publicize. We have the esoterics trying to, like, make the liberals look bad so that they could go back into hiding. And then the Brothers of the Shadow get involved. So, the esoterics were actually doing that. Or no. So this is the theory. This is Harrison's okay, theory, okay. right? As all conspiracy theories tend to, they have maybe have a nugget right. of truth, but at right. the end of the day, we the don't know how Long far I they go. Do you think the Long Island media miss an agent of the esoterics? <laughs> <laughs> I know, John She's Oliver like a just did that agent. whole expose on televised mediums. It was a shame. I haven't watched that. I yeah, want you to. Yeah. That sounds good. I mean, it, it's, it's, for, for our purposes, it's a shame. <laughs> um, oh, okay. Because the televised <laughs> mediums are, prob are, yeah, there's a lot of faking going on for publicity, but it really makes your work-a-day medium look bad, right? The real believers in, mm. in spirit communication who are doing it for spiritual reasons. It's like that episode of South Park where they like work with the police, the psychic mediums. Do you oh know what yeah, yeah, about? yeah. It sounds exactly. Like yeah, South Park's never kind to spirit mediums either. <laughs> um, but I love them. I think they get a bad rap. Some of them, not the ones on TV. Anyway, back to the Brothers of the Shadow. <clears throat> brothers of the Shadow. They are also known as the Brothers of the Left. The brothers left. of the Left. <laughs> Sorry. <Yeah. laughs> no, it's, I'm delighted. I'm delighted by that. The left is not associated here with liberalism, so let's not get confused, since there's already a group that has a lock on that, the liberals. But rather, they are serving the left-hand path. Versus the right-hand path. Yeah? <laughs> what does that mean? The left-hand path, Olivia? Is this not your area of expertise? This is this the? It is our podcast. So like it's it's the anti uh, nun, right? So like nuns will hit you if you try to write with your left hand. Oh no! So they like take that. that oh they take that path. I guess no, 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 you could no. say that it's it, it, no, but like if you wanted to split the right and the left with that ideology, I guess you could. You but could think about it as black magic, white magic. Yeah. Right hand being white magic to the service of others and left hand being black magic to the service of yourself. Oh, okay. That was very well put, Rob. Like I understand chaos now. magic <laughs> is like to yourself, whereas something like... Uh, ooh, it... Well, I don't know. Some people try to like put Wicca and kind of, I don't know. I mean, kind of, witchcraft kind of gets a little bit yeah, sketchy there, but yeah. So, our brothers of the shadow attempt to use spiritualism's mediums to do their own dirty work. Their goal was to utilize occult power to manipulate humanity for their own secret ends. So they're basically oh. just like supervillains, essentially. Well, it, as, There's a brotherhood uh, of shadows. Right. <laughs> I love that name! <laughs> so, uh, name. Uh, they did not want the betterment of the species, as the liberals did, right, to make us all more enlightened. Uh, they wanted to get whatever they wanted. We don't. Mm. We're, we have to sort of parse what that was. So they were a lot like Aleister Crowley, really, with his secret elite rising above and trampling the non-elect. So what? That um, that almost sounds like the same as esoteric so far. 
I guess. But the, Except that the uh, right, go ahead, James. Uh, the esoteric want to keep it a secret, and they don't want other people to know about it. Where the the shadow the people, they don't. It seems like they don't care if other people know about it. They they will oh. use that that energy for their own good. Yeah. Oh, so they don't care if people know, but the they're not actively. The, yeah, the liberals and the esoterics okay. wanted uh, for the what was best for humanity. They just believed in different. In, you know, the okay. esoterics believed that it should be secret. The liberals believed it should be public, and they believed that was what was best for all of us. The brothers of the shadow said, "Screw you guys. This is about me. I'm going to use this to get what I want." I gotcha. So, in the midst of occult warfare, uh, Helena Blavatsky emerges, demanding membership in an occult order. It becomes very convenient for these conspiracy brotherhoods. She promised to revolutionize occultism and throw over the conservative esoterics by revealing occult secrets according to a liberal agenda across the globe. So that's the team she's on so far. The liberals. This agenda would serve the political ends of occultists in India, and so these Indian occultists lined up behind Blavatsky goes this theory, but it was troublesome for Western occultists who did not share the Indians' political goals, and so they opposed Blavatsky magically. The Indians intervened, conspiring to have her released from this magic prison, but one of them, Coot Humi, our favorite, oh oh, yeah. Coot, was secretly in the pay of the Russian government and used Blavatsky oh. to further Russia's political goals in occupied India, which more or less aligned with Indian goals anyway. So India is occupied by England, right? Mm-hmm. So our Western occultists are going with the politics of England that occupying India is cool, so let's give England the power. And our Indian occultists are going with the get out of India politics. And Russia, who doesn't want England, you know, just hanging out south of the border, also wants England out of there. So Russia and India team up against England. Weird. In the occult world. It's such a, world. like, <laughs> crazy pairing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Blavatsky was a champion of Hindu and Buddhist religious ideals and an important connecting point between the West and East uh, as far as religious philosophy is concerned. She believed in the law of karma and reincarnation and his uh, what we call Hindu cosmogony with the notion that the universe is expanding and contracting periodically over a series of eons that were sort of we're in one of many universes that will be blinked out of existence after so many billion years and then blinked back into existence. What would you call it? What was the word? Cosmogony. cosmogony. The Hindu cosmogony. I like that word. <laughs> okay. So in the later part of the 19th century, as we were talking about, India is colonized by England and British power paves the way for Christian missionaries to begin converting Hindus and Buddhists. Oh, here we go. So, Blavatsky shows up and throws a wrench into the whole system by persuading some of the white colonizers that Hinduism and Buddhism are better than Christianity. Oh, yeah. That's pretty awesome. This message comes from a white woman who has a white partner in Henry Alcott, and these guys, right, it's for an Indian who's watching this whole thing play out. They're like, oh, the white people, we thought they were all Christians. Now here come these white people saying our religion is better than theirs. So maybe they're right. Maybe we should be sticking with our religion. And it energizes the Indians who are trying to preserve their beliefs and traditions. That's so cool. That's like like spiritual espionage. Yeah. That made me so happy for some reason. And this happened so long ago. (laughs) So right up. The occult. Getting it done. Yeah. Getting it done. So uh, the British and the Christian occupiers are beside themselves. So getting back to our conspiracy theory. This is all, that was all real. That's real history. That truly is the way things are, as opposed to our various secret brothers that can't be part of recorded history because they 
were busy hiding from it. Right? <laughs> Cowards. <laughs> Ooh. No. Hot take. Hot take. They're going to come after us. <laughs> okay, so Harrison, our conspiracy theorist, does not see Blavatsky as an ag- agent of anti-colonialism, but rather sees her as a cog in this secret occult battle that we've been talking about between powerful hidden orders. There's a certain operation of ceremonial magic by means of which a wall of psychic influences may be built up around an individual who has become dangerous, which has the effect of paralyzing the high activities with a kind of spiritual sleep characterized by fantastic visions. I want one of those. Yeah, I want whatever she's having. No, you really, you don't want that. You don't want that. Wait, were (laughs) were they putting like images that they wanted to into her head? This is the theory, yeah, that they were controlling her with these like... I don't know, glamour visions, right? Where she's just sitting in a diner, glamour. you know, and this, this you know, handsome like the, guy comes up. When the vampires in the vampire movies... <laughs> I got what you meant. Okay, just, like true blood. Okay, so this was carried about... Uh, this was carried about by the American brothers to the uh, objection of the European brothers. So the American brothers were like, let's just stick her in a, a cult jail. Oh, oh, brother! Okay, of this, sorry. of this order, gotcha. and the European brothers were like, "No, that that's mean." So, the American brothers, as I mentioned, couldn't maintain the prison with the Indian brothers conspiring against them. So, the Indian brothers are fighting the Western occultists to try to get Blavatsky free, and she does get free. And as soon as she does, the esoteric's worst nightmares are realized when she reveals a series of genuine occult secrets to the world through her Theosophical Society. So she's doing the work of the liberals. This is insane. This would make an awesome movie. I'm just thinking. <laughs> we yeah. keep, the, Blavatsky, we've been hearing that a lot, this series. We, you guys keep saying these are all good movies. Maybe yeah, we need I mean, to be in maybe. the movie business. Honestly. Yeah. Start our YouTube channel. Blavatsky. <laughs> Occult cinema. Occult cinema. Huh. We'll get on that. TM. <laughs> Can't take it. We copyrighted Dibs. <laughs> so Harrison's theory gives Blavatsky a lot of credit. From Harrison's perspective, she is the author of important and genuine works, both practical and theoretical, which reveal the occult world to her followers in the society. But she's also the tool of secret brotherhoods. And if she's a tool of the brotherhoods of the shadow, what secret ends are they using her to achieve? How are they manipulating humanity? Were they only trying to limit the spread of Christianity in India? Or did they have other, larger, more nefarious goals? I hope so. I feel like the- <laughs> <laughs> with that name like that, they need to be evil. Well, so that wants serving, more villainy. If they're serving themselves, the only way we would know what they want to do or what they would use power for is to know them specifically as people, right? Well, let's see if we can figure out what it might be about. According to the Society for Psychical Research's investigator Richard Hodgson, who we heard about in the last episode, who called Blavatsky a liar. Harrison's concern for the magical conspiracy was actually misplaced. The real conspiracy was Russian. The Mahatmas, Blavatsky's, you know, Indian brothers, Kuthumi and Mahatma Moria, were a fiction, he said, made up to disguise the fact that Blavatsky was operating as a Russian spy. You are not trying to tell me that Kut is not a real man. I'm going to tell you both things today. Um, I don't believe you. We're starting here. (laughs) We're starting with this. A conversation with Madame Blavatsky, which arose out of her sudden and curious excitement at the news of the recent Russian movement upon the Afghan frontier, compelled me to ask myself seriously whether it was not possible that the task which she had set herself to perform in India was to foster and foment as widely as possible among the natives a dissatisfaction towards British rule. 
Madame Blavatsky's momentary emotional betrayal of her sympathies and the onset of her excitement was not rendered less significant by the too strongly impressed afterstroke of a quite uncalled for vituperation of the Russians who, she said, would be the death blow of the society if they got into India. Hodgson actually reads against the second part of Blavatsky's comment here, having ferreted out her true motive to undermine the British Raj on behalf of a Russia hostile to the Brits' presence so close to the motherland, Hodgson says she pretended to feel threatened by the Russians as a way of covering herself. The Raj actually had Blavatsky and Olcott followed by spies following their arrival in India in 1879. Historical fact. A.P. Sinnott spoke about this in his Occult World, uh, which we talked about last episode as well. Right. One of his few truly critical comments about Madame Blavatsky in the whole book, which is generally complimentary toward her. Let's hear from Sinnott. Madame Blavatsky, on her first arrival in India, adopted an attitude of obtrusive sympathy with the natives of the soil as compared with the Europeans, seeking their society in a manner which, coupled with the fact that she made none of the usual advances to European society, and with her manifestly Russian name, had the effect not unnaturally rendering of a suspect to the rather clumsy organization which, in India, attempts to combine with sundry others the functions of a political police. In his excellent study of the historical origins of Blavatsky's masters, K. Paul Johnson quotes from a letter uncovered by another scholar, Maria Carlson, in the Central State Archives of Russia. How cool is that? That's super cool. And this letter says that Blavatsky wrote, and this is, uh, this is again, real history, right? So we're sort of toggling back and forth. Sorry, guys, uh, listeners and friends. We're toggling back and forth between the conspiracy theory and the actual history. So now we're sort of drilling down into the actual history. And this is for real. In the Central State Archives of Russia, there's this letter that Blavatsky wrote to her country's diplomatic corps, offering her assistance should they need it. Hmm. She says, I must confess that three quarters of the time the spirits spoke and answered in my words and out of my considerations for the success of my own plans. Rarely, very rarely, did I fail by means of this little trap to discover people's hopes, plans, and secrets. I have played every role. I am able to represent myself as any person you may wish. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, she is a super, super talented lady. Yeah. I, would, I would hire her as a PI. Maybe not as a medium, though, because it seems like she's happy to fake stuff, to, to fool and seduce you. I mean, get your secrets. Blavatsky, but she works for the police department as their <laughs> resident medium. All right, so this letter echoes my own conclusions comparing Sinnott's book to Hodgson's report. Blavatsky does not say she's faked all of her phenomena, but rather three quarters, right? She says, that's I... A that's a lot. That's a lot. Must, yeah. But that leaves one quarter of real phenomena. So well, here she is yeah. in her most honest, not saying I faked all my spirits, but very specifically saying she's faked three quarters. In the par paranormal investigative world, we say if even one ghost can be found to be unproven, yeah. then there are ghosts in the world, right? So that means that Blavatsky has occult power, that but she fakes a bunch of occult power to manipulate people. That would put a lot of power to esoterics then. Like, oh, she just said she's faked three-fourths, but how do we know it's not all of it? Yeah. You see what I mean? Why, would why, she, not, yeah. why wouldn't she say she faked all of it, though? If she thought it was going to be secretive. But, I mean, That's, I guess, to be fair, a magician never reveals his tricks, either. That's so, true. like, you might not want to say that. Ah, she's very manipulative. <laughs> now I'm like, I don't know, which is true. You just manipulated yourself. I did. Through, through trying time. to figure it out. Like, wait, wow. she could be... Oh. 
I think we want to take her at her word. I think she's being fairly honest here, uh, so that a quarter of what she's done is not faked. At least she's being honest, which makes me want to believe her. It's it's not that's faked, at least in her own eyes. Well, that's true. She probably won't. Yeah, so. <laughs> According to her own estimation, a quarter of it is real. Whether we doubt that or not is, is another thing. But she believes that a quarter of what she's doing is genuine. Sweet. Going back to the question of the master's identity... Our scholar Johnson notes that this letter was written in 1872, seven years before she traveled to India, and that her true sympathies had more to do with native Hindus and Buddhists than Russian imperialists. He cites a letter Blavatsky wrote to Senate in 1887. I would stick for the Hindus against Russia, even. I love my countrymen and my country dearly, but I love India and masters still more, and my contempt for the stupidity of Russian government and diplomacy knows no bounds. Johnson identifies both Master Moria and Kut Humi as two Indian Sikhs. Moria was actually the wealthy and powerful Maharaja of Jammu and Kashmir. Jammu. And Kashmir. And Kashmir. <laughs> Ranbir Singh, who facilitated HPB's entry into Tibet, was his name. Kut Humi was a man by the name of Thakar Singh. Singh is a name adopted by male Sikhs and means lion. So many Sikhs oh. go by Ooh. Singh. All right, isn't that cool? Lion's cool. Thakar Singh was... Excuse me, what are you saying? That's his name. Thakar. 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 T-H-A-K-A-R. Thakar. That's a lot like... Thakar. 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 Who was valued for his ability to attract rajas and maharajas to support Sikh causes. So he's a good fundraiser. Wait, a raja is just like a... a rich guy. A rich, yeah. Yeah, okay. leader. Right. I knew that. That was the name of the tiger in Aladdin. Yeah. <laughs> According to our scholar Johnson, again, it is apparent from Olcott's old diary leaves, his memoir, and Caves and Jungles that the same character is described by both as a Sikh officiating at the Sikh's holiest of holies, the Golden Temple, in which he played a supervisory role. So we're pinning down these two guys as good candidates for being Kudhumi and Master Moria. These are the real Kudhumi and Master Moria. So Blavatsky's Theosophical Society had a great deal in common with the Sikhs, further cementing the link between Blavatsky's Mahatmas and Sikhism. So we got to understand Sikhism now. That brings us to today's brief history. Okay, we're going to call our Knight of the Dangling Serpent over to the table for our brief history today. Jacob, oh, Jacob Wheatley. Oh, how he dangles. <laughs> I walk, oh. I dangle as I walk. All right, now, Jacob, I know this is going to be a challenge today since none of us know how any of these words are pronounced. <laughs> <laughs> but we're just going to do uh, our... When I read an Indian uh, brief history, I didn't get any help the whole time. Here's well, we've thing. learned. We've grown and learned from our mistakes. <laughs> I'm... Is that what it is? I'm or... the youngest of the group, so... Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, not yeah. technically baby. out of everyone, but I'm, I'm out of old, here so right I now, guess. I'm yeah. the baby. Let's get to this. Yep. Oh. <clears throat> A brief history of Sikhism. So far, so good. I said it right? Mm-hmm. All right. Sikhism comes from the Sanskrit word Sishya, right? Sure. Mean, okay, meaning disciple. Founded by Guru Nanak Devji in the 15th century, his goal was to create a belief system that would unite Hindus and Muslims and end the fighting between them. He traveled with a Muslim musician, Bai Mardana, who was considered his first follower, and together they sang and spread this new faith. Doesn't that sound nice? Like that the Partridge very, family. very like hippie. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yep. There have been a su- succession of 11 gurus since. Sikhism is centered in the Punjab region in India. 
They believe in a single god, Nam or Name? Sounds good to me. Okay. And the and meditation on the name of God in order to reach a point where life is entirely devoted to God. Their focus is inward rather than outward and can stop in the temple whenever they choose rather than at ritually designated times. Otherwise, they follow basic principles of Hinduism, including karma and reincarnation. But significantly, Sikhs do not believe in the caste system. Nanak believed in equality of all people, established the practice of sharing a meal between members of caste, and argued against the burning of widows and female infanticide. Infanticide. The killing of baby girls. Thank God. I know. Stopping it. Specifically? I love baby girls. You have one. I am a big fan. (laughs) We should not kill them. But with the caste system and, you know, patriarchal inheritance and all this, mm-hmm. created these problems. So our buddy Nanak got on top of it. That's so cool. So far, so good, you know? Like this, doesn't sound like, like this much guy. wrong. Yeah, <laughs> all right. We are going to be converting to Sikhism. Well, other than being 100% completely devoted to God, to be honest. <laughs> I you That's the one problem there. You want to have other devotions. <laughs> yeah. no. All right. Go ahead. The holy city of Amritsar is home to the Golden Temple, a site of pilgrimage in Sikhism. The city was built by the fourth guru and the Golden Temple completed by the fifth guru. Sikhs have a daily morning prayer, two evening prayers, and regularly repeat the Mol Mantra. Uh, Ik Onkar. Sure. Ik Onkar, I think. Ik Onkar. That's yes. their mantra. And it means there is one being. Under British occupation, the Sikhs remained loyal to the British during the Indian Mutiny of 1857, and they received preferential. Preferential. You've, you're doing. <laughs> I think you're, you're at least plowing through these Indian terms and names, but preferential and infanticide, the English words, Jacob of the Dangling Serpent. I never said English, English was my first language. Oh, I see, right. <laughs> Little did we know that it would be the. Punjabi words, the Hindi words. Yeah, surprise, guys. Delightful. (laughs) Preferential treatment from their colonizers was what I was trying to say. Yes. Yep. Uh, But they remained suspicious and even hostile toward Christian missionaries attempting to separate them from their belief system. Mm -hmm. Can I ask a question? Why were they, why would they be loyal to the British? Can you just... Because the British treated them well. But... They separated them from the rest of the population, considering them more enlightened. But based off of their, like, values, they wouldn't, like... Well, they had the one god and that sort of stuff. I just thought they would stick with India. Like, you know what I mean? I guess, like, they wouldn't, like, with all... There was some difficulty separating India. When India was colonized, what was in India's best interest, I guess, is was the question. So the Sikhs would have thought that it was in India's best interest to collaborate with the British. I guess I thought it, that they would just want to be with the people. Like, they would... I don't know how to word, I guess. Never mind. Politics, man. (laughs) It was not until Christian missionary efforts proved their danger, however, that the real resurgence began, particularly when the young Maharaja Dalip Singh was converted Christianity. See? You got got Dalip Singh and then (laughs) converted... (laughs) Yep. Uh, The Sikhs came to see their very existence threatened by missionary efforts. The immediate cause of the founding of the Singh Sabha was the conversion of four Sikh students at a school in Amritsar run by missionaries. The Singh Sabha was a school established to counter these missionary efforts by restoring the Sikh religion, 
distributing Sikh literature and opening colleges and schools in the Sikh tradition, which would teach Punjabi languages and promote religious brotherhood. And that is a brief history of Sikhism. I think that went rather well. Yeah. yeah. That went very well, I think. Yeah. yeah. I will told. go brush up on my English. Um, but if the Mahatmas were real, why would they allow their chela, or disciple, Blavatsky, to be openly slandered? Why wouldn't they prevent the Kulum plot, remember from the last episode, from going forward? Writing to Senate in 1880, four years before the Kulums or Hodgson would cast a shadow over the Theosophical Society, Kuthumi revealed the master's willingness to retreat from public view. The only salvation of the genuine proficients in the occult sciences lies in the skepticism of the public. The charlatans and the jugglers are the natural shields of the adepts. The keepers of the sacred light did not safely cross so many ages but to find themselves wrecked on the rocks of modern skepticism. What? Why do people always talk about jugglers? I hear jugglers they talking mean, about a lot. Like, do they mean actual jugglers or is that like a term? Fakers. Jugglers of your... Uh... Money. Jugglers of hats? Of your, jugglers of your trust. Of your faith. Oh, I yeah, see. They manipulate your faith. It's all up in the air. They juggle you. Not uh, to mix it up with insane Don Bossy. I was That's juggalos. Yeah, across <laughs> campus this morning, uh, actually to drive here, and a man was juggling right in front of the parking garage that I was parked in, and it, it sounds like you me. Did it rock He's your like, faith? <laughs> I, I was scared. I was like, I felt threatened. Oh, was, your faith remained strong. I don't know. <laughs> so this was truly a... <laughs> Experience, I guess. <laughs> now, now I get it. See, I never got it before, but after hearing your story, I understand the there you go the jugglers why the term is appropriate. Right. The master's goal to educate the world on occult truth and establish a universal religion of truth was not, in fact, their primary objective. So they didn't need to share this with the world in a liberal sense. The more important work was the preservation of occult science in an esoteric sense. Bringing attention to that science had raised, in Humi's estimation, a force threatening to bring the whole ship down. It was better for the public to be skeptical of the brothers than to believe in them, and fearing their influence, seek to destroy them. Do you see? Like if, mm. if the public found out that there was real occultism, real occult power, and these guys were the keepers of it, they might be like, you know, the peasants with the pitchforks. Absolutely. Mm. Or the For scientists sure. put them on the slab, cut them open. Right. Ooh. Yum. <laughs> the brothers' fears were not ill-placed. Conspiracy theories about an anti-British agenda in India would morph into modern-day alt-right conspiracies about the Theosophical Society's secret hold over the United Nations. Which will well, come. That escalated yeah, so quickly. Right. That's gonna. We're gonna do an episode on that. We're we're two episodes away, so that's gonna be the end of our series. You can't the, just throw that. At that like theory that. that the Theosophical Society holds the controls the United Nations, but there's a connection between what Harrison is saying and that theory that's coming. I feel like I already believe you. Okay, cool. Uh, I'm, not, I'm gonna argue that that's not true. By the way, of course. I <laughs> And so the masters allowed the world to come to believe that the phenomena produced by the Russian mystic Blavatsky was a bunch of fraudulent nonsense. Mm. So was it fraudulent nonsense or wasn't it? Either way, it benefited the masters to let others believe that it was fraudulent nonsense because it distracted their attention from what the real occultism they were up to. No more pitchforks or angry mob. This was deeply punishing for Blavatsky because her reputation was ruined. 
but it removed the spotlight from the masters and permitted them to disappear back into obscurity where they might continue to preserve and further their occult knowledge out of view and out of harm's way. So Blavatsky was an escape goat. Did you say an escape goat? Yeah, an escape goat. <laughs> I make puns, and I'm going to kick you for that pun. <laughs> I'm sorry. Isn't that what the term? What does the escape goat do? You know, it 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 runs it's out. It, you know, goat. so it runs like, out. It, you send an escape goat out to pretend like it's escaping. It gets caught, so you can escape. It's just a scapegoat. According to the scholar Johnson. In New York, Blavatsky had been sworn to conceal details of her links to secret societies in Europe and Egypt while proclaiming herself their agent. So she made a secret oath. I shall conceal you while saying that I'm your agent. So, do you see? So she will publicize that they there is such brotherhoods, but along the way she will not reveal where they are or she'll conceal their the details and all that sort of stuff so she'll basically be like oh yeah there's a brotherhood when they ask where are they she'll be like i don't know she's such a tease or she'll say false information oh true. yeah so later in india she was obliged to protect the identities of the mahatmas while trying to prove their existence most of her public life was an effort to serve hidden masters without betraying their secrets after the kalum affair and the hodgson report she was at long last free of these masters, allowing her to write her magnum opus, acknowledged by most scholars to, in my field as a profound contribution to religious and occult philosophy. I'm talking, of course, about her book, The Secret Doctrine. Uh, so do you see how this all worked out? She was serving these masters. These masters were, were kind of like betraying her in, in a way, to allowing her to take the fall so that they could hide and, and disappear away from public view and things weren't going so well. So finally, when that happened, when she was outed as a fraud and everybody was calling her dirty names, she was free of them. Mm-hmm. And she was able to sit down and write this bizarre and incredible book, which mm-hmm. we're going to spend an episode on next time. Woo! Somehow that makes it all make more sense. It does. It <laughs> yeah. really does. But before we get there, uh, we're not going to close out the episode just yet. I want to talk about Adepts in the Wild. My memoir? Hmm. As a postscript to this discussion, I want to bring up three curious incidents of encounters with the Mahatmas that occurred, or seem to have occurred, completely independent of Blavatsky's intervention. You see, so there were three times that we saw the Mahatmas, and Blavatsky was nowhere around to fake them. Weird. So if she's a fraud and she's been faking the Mahatmas all along and the letters and all this teacups and stuff, how how did this stuff happen? Where'd she get them from? Where'd she get them from? (laughs) Where'd you get the Mahatma? Well, we just talk about where she got them from. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna provide three curious incidents. I'm excited that she's not involved in, but we're Mahatma's infant. Oh, we're not there yet. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> James wants to hurry James, this along. We sing on this channel to announce things. Oh yeah, channel podcast. What are we? this? Was a po- <laughs> channel what podcast? Doing. What are we doing? <laughs> in the Society for Psychical Research's proceedings, as an appendix to the Hodgson report, Eleanor Sidgwick, who mostly agreed with Hodgson's conclusions, discussed a series of letters and visions of astral bodies that the society could not explain although she imagined that there were likely natural explanations. The most baffling of these came from a woman named Mary Gephard, who was attending a meeting of the Theosophical Society in the United Kingdom. On the 7th of April last, being at a meeting of the Theosophical Society at Mr. Finch's rooms, Lincoln's Inn, I had a vision in which I saw the Mahatma M. At the moment, I was listening intently to Colonel Alcott's opening speech to the Society, 
I saw standing on my right side, a little in front, a very tall, majestic-looking person, whom I immediately recognized to be the Mahatma from a picture I had seen of him in Mr. Sinnett's possession. The vision lasted only a few seconds. As far as I could learn, the only person besides myself who had seen the Mahatma were Colonel Alcott, Mr. Mohini, and of course, Madame Blavatsky. Whoa, Weird. Just, just sitting there, independent of Blavatsky, this Mahatma just kind of materialized and dematerialized. That's scary. Yeah, she saw it. Blavatsky saw it, but uh, this woman saw it without Blavatsky able to like pull any curtains or levers or anything. And this guy faded and appeared. Henry Alcott recorded two encounters that he had with mysterious Indian adepts while he was still living in America, both appearing in his fairly comprehensive memoir of his time with Blavatsky, as Brent mentioned earlier, called Old Diary Leaves. So he'd been working on Isis Unveiled with Blavatsky. The time for ending the day's work had come, and he told her goodnight and retired to his room, where he proceeded to read and smoke. As was his habit. In bed? It's dangerous to smoke in bed. I think he's sitting up in his... It's dangerous to smoke. He's in his smoking chair. (laughs) He could have died. In his smoking chair? I I don't know. He's his reading and smoking chair. See, we don't have them anymore. You're not allowed to smoke indoors. Let alone in chairs. Right? His book, he said, had nothing to do with the paranormal whatsoever. Or even India. He was just reading a travel book about the Yucatan Peninsula. But then he had this paranormal experience. What followed, he said, was a major inspiration for his choice to co-found the Theosophical Society with Blavatsky, focused on occult phenomena, and to relocate to India. All at once, as I read with my shoulder a little turn from the door, here came a gleam of something white in the right-hand corner of my right eye. I turned my head, dropped my book in astonishment, and saw towering above me in his great stature an oriental clad in which garments wearing a headcloth or turban of amber-striped fabric, hand-embroidered in yellow floss silk. The materialized master commended Olcott, telling him that his recent actions had caused the master to view him now as a potential co-worker for the good of mankind. Okay, Olcott. He's being elevated. And that Olcott had developed a mysterious tie with HPB that would result in the doing of a great work together, him and Blavatsky. After speaking with the master for half an hour, Alcott began to wonder if this was a hallucination or hypnotic glamour cast by HPB, and seeming to read his thoughts, the master gave him his feta, or headcloth, to keep. So he was more than just a so figment of his imagination. So he had this cloth, then? Yeah, he had a physical specimen. So, so this, this Mahatma showed up, said, you are worthy, took off his headscarf, put it on him, and said, bye. They just handed it to him. Or he left it under the table, I think. Well, Uh, let's hear about it. The master smiled kindly, as if reading my thoughts, untwisted the feta from his head, benignantly saluted me in farewell, and... was gone. His chair was empty. I was alone with my emotions. Not quite alone, though, for on the table lay the embroidered headcloth. That's totally insane. Right? Do we have a picture of this cloth? (laughs) <laughs> That's asking a lot. <laughs> Although, I don't know. The TS might have it somewhere. I don't know. No, I have it there. here. See? Oh. Yeah. That's fan- Through the power of podcasting, James has held up an empty fist, and we all can make you think that he's holding... <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah, Thank we're you. We're not convincing anyone of this. The mysterious <laughs> coming and going is difficult to explain, but if we want to... Fr- so of the Mahatma to Alcott. But if we want to forget about that and be very skeptical, we might say that this master was an American version of Babula from the last episode. Babula was uh, Blavatsky's sort of like little Indian partner running around and doing tricks for her, hiding teacups 
to be materialized. <laughs> a second encounter with a man Olcott only described as a stranger he had met in New York, though, is even more difficult to justify this way. After meeting the man, who Olcott believed to be a Hindu, the stranger came to call on him at his apartment, where he was living at the time without Blavatsky. Then, the stranger proceeded to unfold a marvelous and inexplicable occult vision for Olcott right there in his bedroom, long before he had been introduced to the principles with which he explained the occurrence later in his diary. So he didn't even know any occult theories, but he had this vision aided by this master who visited him, secret master. We opened the folding doors which separated the sitting room from the small bedroom, sat on chairs facing the wide doorway, and... By a wonderful process of Maya, I now suppose, I saw the bedroom converted, as it were, into a cube of empty space. The furniture had disappeared from my view, and there appeared alternatively vivid scenes of water, cloudy atmosphere, subterranean caves, and an active volcano. Each of the elements teeming with beings and shapes and faces of which I caught more or less transient glimpses. Some of the forms were lovely, some malignant and fierce, some terrible. They would float into view as gently as bubbles on a smooth stream, or dart across the scene and disappear, or play and gamble together in flame or flood. It sounds like he was on uh, LSD. I don't think that existed yet. Well, well it sounded like he was on DMT? psilocybin. The mushrooms, they existed, right? They're like old. So your theory is that this guy came in and dropped him some mushrooms? That's oh, my theory, but I'm, I'm open to change it. <laughs> uh, telling Olcott that he was satisfied with the result of what he called a psychical test, this master uh, said he would meet Olcott again, and then he left. But Olcott never saw him again. Hmm. If we want to presume that the masters didn't exist, then the concept of the masters had to have been powerful enough to cause them to manifest in the minds of believers, Mary and Olcott, and people masquerading as the masters had to have circulated independently of Blavatsky. So we're talking about something beyond just the woman herself. So, what do we think? Are the masters real? Mm. Well, it's hard to answer. It's hard to answer now, but I feel like, I feel like, oh, they, I feel like they've got to be. That's my take. What about you, Olivia? Do they've got to be as like political guys, Sikhs in India? Are they magical? Do you think? Can they conjure I was about to themselves? Say, I'm not convinced that they're just like normal people. I mean, uh, uh, this is like off the wall, but like it sounds like. Just as an example, I mean, it's the same thing as, like, a, a demon coming as a normal ghost, like, manifesting as a normal person. You know what I mean? It could just okay. be... So they it could be, be anything. It could be an elemental. Of, it could be a... Somewhere on the spirit yeah. hierarchy. Yeah. Or they could be living occult adepts doing this thing. Sending yeah. their astral spirits out. That seems, I don't know, more likely? I don't know. Sorry, because they said that Alcott had a picture of him. Yep, he did. Yeah, and then the, per the, the lady saw that picture... And then she saw the Mahatma appear Herself. and disappear. Yep. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, she had already seen the picture, so it could have just been in the, like, assumed a, uh, a likeliness that she was familiar with. That's kind of what I think. Ah, so, um, ooh, you guys are going some sort of demonic right conspiracy here. <laughs> demonic? And, I mean, I used it as an example, but, like, I don't know. And you, men you mentioned that they were talking about theories that Alcott himself hadn't even thought of beforehand. That makes it even stranger to me. Sounds like a yeah. yeah. They're sort of educating and opening his mind to these new ways of thinking. Yeah. It could be time travelers. All right, then. <laughs> I love that look. Back to the future. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, uh, again, we're, we're going to leave off the United Nations conspiracy, um, but uh, we're going to get there. 
Before we go there, however, we are going to spend uh, an episode on the secret doctrine. Uh, and I know that this book, uh, for our listeners who are not uh, up on their Blavatsky, uh, it sounds like, oh, what the heck is that? But it's Atlantis. <gasps> stop, what? stop. Lemurians, Atlantis, let's go. Let's do it right now. It is Lemurians and Atlantis. That is what the secret doctrine focuses on, the evolution of humankind spiritually through the continents of Lemuria into the continent of Atlantis, into our present age, and then the ages to come. I wish oh, I could boy. describe Olivia's look on her you face right now. You don't understand. I was literally talking to Rob about how much I love Atlantis. She's about to jump through ago. the microphone She's into all of your homes. <laughs> She's shaking like a small dog. <laughs> I am a sport. Uh, but unfortunately, we are going to have to close up today's episode. This was part two of our discussion of the Mahatmas, and we will be moving on to the secret doctrine next time. I'll just wait right. here in okay. the theater. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, let's uh, open up the Order of Confessors now as our last segment for the day. Confessors! It's like, what do you want? <laughs> There's a gong here. Oh. Uh, gong. Do you guys listen to this podcast? Gong. Yeah. yeah. I just don't like hearing my voice. I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We want to uh, give some thanks to the folks who have been rating and reviewing. We've had some anonymous reviews. We appreciate those. Thank you for the stars. We've yeah. also had two uh, non-anonymous reviews. And if you do take the time to write, we like to give you a little shout-out during our Order of Confessors. First, SC2019. SE. E-S-S-I-E. so modern. Has been listening in her car and enjoying the podcast. Nice. And we are enjoying her, enjoying us. <laughs> Second, we have Cooper Dalhart. What a name. Coop in LaGrange, Texas. Oh. <gasps> right, isn't that the perfect combination of facts about a person? Does he have a TV show based <laughs> right. off of his life? Cooper Dalhart in LaGrange, Texas. Yeah, it does sound great. Yeah, it's love a, this you're guy. Pitching me a movie. I love I, him even more. I'm sold. <laughs> the story of Coop. Uh, he's enjoying our research, and he's also enjoying the stories, and wrote a very lovely review for us, and Aww. is just a cool-sounding dude. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Cooper. Thank you. All right, uh, Olivia's asked that we bring our Instaquisitor over because she has a suggestion for Instagram as part of our Order of Confessors today. Shannon, I love this part. Shannon Hello. Lannister's come on by. So, Olivia, what do you have to share with Shannon? What, what should we be doing with Instagram? What can we look forward to? Uh, so, I might regret this, but um, I want to <laughs> see how all of our listeners listen to our podcast. Like, what do you guys do? Where do you listen? I like, imagine a lot of pictures of people without pants on. Well, okay. Uh, Bring them on. Is that how we want to flood that. our Instagram with these? No, I didn't yeah, yeah, yeah. think Don't of that. Me. I didn't know. Give... That is all I think about. Well, SC 2019 listens in her car. Oh, so but I want to yeah. know if it, if it's running or not. <laughs> Does Lagrange listen like just on his so porch in Texas? You want to ask each of our listeners individually. You want to go through our hundreds no, of listeners. No, I just want them to send it to me. I don't. I oh, don't okay. want to. But like, yeah. what if they listen on their the, phone? How will they take a picture of like a selfie okay. using their phone? Yeah, but it's just, just like just the caption says, listening to the. If they're listening call. to if you're our in podcast. your car and your car is moving, don't do this. Oh no! Don't mm. drive and do it. Right. Stop. Or have someone oh, else Lord. do it from another car. <laughs> <laughs> Let's close up the order of confessors for today. Right, thanks for having me for this little. Inquisitor moment. You are <laughs> welcome. As always, Thank you. we love you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Olivia, bring us on home. Oh, I hereby adjourn and declare closed this 
meeting of the secret order of alchemical actors until such a time as we get together and do it again. Okay, so today we had Brandon Walls, mm -hmm. uh, not only in discussion, but doing the voice of Harrison and Sinnott. Yes. What an all-star MVP. Yeah, he's having a big day. <laughs> This is all Brandon all the time, this episode. Uh, we had Sean Priest in the role of Hodgson. We had John Cook as Coot Humi, Ray Candela as Madame Blavatsky, Abby Cook as Mary, and Morgan Jung it was back doing Henry Alcott. Oh. Joining us around the circle, uh, we've got uh, Savannah Verrett. Goodbye, everyone. Okay. Was I supposed to? That's good. You did a good job. That was, yeah. that was good. It's to the point. Um, I don't have 100% faith in God. <laughs> I don't know why. Why, like why do you do again. this to yourself? Can I ask I you? Well. What are you thinking right now? <laughs> I hope you got this. <laughs> like if you had to put now. a percentage on it, Savannah. Well, it depends on what God. There's a whole bunch what of. What about that. after our Soul series, our Series 3? Did that not raise your percentage at all? So this you might is... have a soul, but God, you're... I'll sit down with Savannah and go through every single God and see her see percentages. Her percentages. Of, uh... All right, we'll get back to you on Send this. Send your prayers to Savannah. <laughs> we'll put this on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, yeah for pray for her. Because that actually sounds hilarious. Okay, uh, Brandon again. I'll see you guys four seasons from now in discussion. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. You only get one every four yeah. seasons. Yeah. Uh, James, captain of the table. May the force be with you. And also... With you. And I am Rob C. Thompson, our Supreme Hierophant Doctor of the Occult. So we want to thank you all for joining us for this, our second part of our I'm Olivia, bye. discussion of, of <laughs> Blavatsky's. You skipped me. Bye, Felicia. Oh, I did, yeah. <laughs> I leave for one episode. Yeah, if I forget that you're there. You're literally just to my left. Uh, that's Olivia. Who's also saying goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> it's our third part of our Blavatsky series, second part of our discussion of the Mahamas. We'll start on the secret doctrine next week. Thank you, everyone. We look forward to our trip to Atlantis. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> yeah, that perked her up. Going to Atlantis. Here on A Call Confessions.